Hi there, this is The Advantage Podcast. We're hacking the art and neuroscience of expert leadership so that you can unstuck your true potential in life and work. I'm Dr. John Kay, I'm your host, and welcome to this episode. It's time to go beyond resilience and well-being. Are you a cause or effect? Most people, most of the time, allow life to happen to them. Life is difficult, begins M. Scott Peck in the 70s classic, The Road Less Travelled. What remains most surprising is that for many people, this is a revelation. If you are alive and get out of bed today, there will be a challenge for you to face. Something will happen that you will either, one, choose to do something about and take action, or two, you will find that you have to do something about and react. And your choice at this point matters a great deal. Welcome to this edition of the Advantage podcast. Let's start by clarifying purpose, process and payoff for this particular Advantage guide. In this guide, we're going to consider how critical it is to make a good choice in response to the many varied challenges we face every single day. And how easily we can get trapped by effect and the two enemies of our mind into a spiral of anxiety and fear. Or we can choose to be at cause for ourselves and our life. And we'll do that by introducing you to the two cycles of being at cause and being at effect. We'll examine the two enemies of our mind and debunk some brain myths about emotion that will put you and your brain back in a sense of control. Then we'll consider a couple of powerful neuroscience acts that you can employ immediately to choose to be at cause. And your payoff, well, at your very next challenge or obstacle you face today, use one or both hacks and begin to feel that locus or sense of control. This will immediately give you an extra flush of dopamine and serotonin, which will make you feel great. More importantly, you'll know that you are not at the mercy of your emotions and that you're on the road to victorious living. In the show notes, I've got a fabulous little flow diagram that can show you these two cycles and the two enemies and how they work. You can follow along as you listen. Your choice in the face of every challenge matters. In the first, you choose to take action knowing that there is or there will soon be an obstacle or challenge that you will need to overcome. You may need to experiment and keep on approaching the obstacle until you get your desired result and then you celebrate your victory. All the while, you are learning how to better tackle future challenges. You have chosen to be at cause for your life, this part of it anyway. And you have adopted a growth mindset. 
The second choice, you will confront the two enemies of the mind. If you have to do something about the obstacle or challenge, you will face one or both. What if and or if only? What if is your fear of the future? What if I'm wrong? Uh, What if I make a bad decision? What if I fail? If only is regret of your past. If only I had paid attention the last time at school to your coach. If only you had more skills, more money, more connections, more friends, more lovers. Fear of the future means that you like to avoid obstacles, just in case you fail. Again. Regret of the past means that you adapt to go around the obstacle because you believe that you lack the resources necessary to succeed. Either way, your results will be less than you desire. So you'll probably blame yourself or someone else. You'll be disappointed and you've adopted a survival vision of life because life is indeed difficult and you are at effect in your life. When we are at effect, it's easy to excuse our own choices. After all, history proves our point and we are at the mercy of our feelings. And everyone knows that our primal emotions are easily triggered. Only they're not. So I think it's time to debunk some flawed theories about emotions. Since Darwin in the 1860s theorised that our human brain evolved from lizards and Maclean's triune brain in the 1960s, the popular theory is that our emotions are triggered in the lizard brain from the outside world and this determines our actions and choices. It may be popular and compelling, but it's wrong. And neuroscientists have known this for decades. Our emotions aren't triggered in our lizard brain, nor the limbic system, nor the amygdala. Actually, our brains are making predictions constantly and continuously about what is going to happen based upon our personal experience in and through life. These predictions, which are actually based on concepts that are constructed on the fly from internal sensing networks, it's called our interoceptive network, and from our perceptions of what is happening outside. That's proprioception. I've got some links for you, for those of you that want to dig right into this. It's fascinating stuff. The groundbreaking book, How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett, tells the details of constructed emotions. And it's a must read for a complete understanding of this. It's also available, by the way, on my favourite book site, which is Scribd.com. In it, you'll also have the notion that there is a universal recognition of facial expressions 
with specific emotions, all of it's going to be blown away. This construction of our emotions does happen extremely quickly. And we are most often unaware that we are in fact constructing emotions because it's beneath our conscious perception. But we can attune ourselves to better notice and thus interrupt any rapid response with deliberate thought and choice. So having turned the conception that emotions are triggered and not under your control on its head, let's just turn you inside out whilst we're here, okay? See, Barrett's book provides the detailed neuroscience behind this, but it is best summarised in Malcolm Gladwell's truly excellent Talking to Strangers. And if you haven't had the chance yet, do get the audio book. It sets a new standard for audiobooks. Anyway, this um, thing is called The Friends Fallacy. If you've ever watched an episode of Friends, and who hasn't, but if you've ever watched it with the sound off, you can very easily deduce what's going on and how each character feels in the scene. The actors blatantly and with exaggeration display the universal emotions on their faces and their bodies. Only there are no universal signs and many people deliberately hide their emotions in real life. That's Darwin's theory and more importantly for anyone arrested by the police or FBI, especially in the USA, that's Paul Ekman's theory of universal expressions of emotion. They're wrong. The next time you see someone frowning, frowning or curling their lip, don't be too hasty to jump to conclusions about their feelings. What this means is that you and I need to choose how to respond to situations and other people Heck, we need to choose our reactions to what happens inside of ourselves. We need some control. Now, if I may, I'm going to take a little Christian thought sidebar here. Because I, as a born-again Christian and as a behavioural neuroscientist, I find these new findings absolutely fascinating. And interestingly, Lisa Feldman Barrett is culturally Jewish but she's a self-proclaimed atheist. And in parts of her book, she disdains the idea that we are created in God's image with a spirit or soul, claiming that put paid to that idea with the evolution of that. Meantime, the research points out that our brains have not evolved from a primate or lizard, as Darwin suggests. The idea that emotions are constructed and that all our thinking can be brought under control, captive to the obedience of Christ, 2 Corinthians 10.5, implies that we do have free will. Hmm. Whereas the disproven theories that our brain makes a decision based on emotional triggers before we are conscious of it seriously undermined the realisation of that free will. 
and the book of Proverbs is filled with wisdom that shows us how to make better choices in life. As does Ecclesiastes and the oldest book in the Bible, Job. And Christians know that we can cast all our cares and anxiety on him in 1 Peter 5.7. It seems that neuroscience is slowly catching up with the truth of the Bible. Okay, let's uh, get back. How can I choose if I'm not in control of the situation? There are many things in life that you are unable to control. And everything outside of you. Everything inside of you is within your control. So long as it's yours and it's not a cancer. Sure, there are some things that happen inside that at this moment you cannot control. For example, I had a massive heart attack on July 4th, 2014 at 11.33 in the morning. I wasn't able to control it at the time. That is true. If only I had taken action earlier to prevent it. Yeah, never thought about first cigarettes. Eaten healthy, kept fit, maintained weight, not eat fatty foods, avoid undue stress. See, choices have consequences. And bad choices tend to have bad consequences. Now I make better choices. You're not in control of your boss's mood when you need to spend more on a project or delay an order or miss the monthly target. But you can choose a different approach to them that might work. You cannot control the storm clouds spoiling your wedding day, but you can choose to have a tent on standby just in case. You may think that you cannot control your stress or anger in the moment, but you can. It may take practice and it may take a moment or two, but you can. See, what we need is a sense of control. Psychologists refer to this as a problem of your locus of control. This is the belief that you, as opposed to external forces beyond your influence, have control over events in your life. Being at cause is having an internal locus of control, whilst being at effect is having an external locus of control. Become aware of how you tend to view situations and ask people who know you well. I've got two quick questions for you. Firstly, do you tend to blame everyone and everything else for every misfortune or do you tend to blame yourself? Second question, do you think that everything good is because you are brilliant and in control or do you attribute your success to others? Now, do be especially aware If you think everything successful is because of you and every failure is someone else's fault. So going beyond resilience and well-being. Well, organisations and HR teams talk a lot about improving resilience and well-being these days. The enforced virtualization of work in 2020 and the slow emergence of the hybrid workplace 
is costing a lot of mental stress. Resilience gives you the capacity to deal with ongoing stress, adapt efficiently to changing situations, cope with work and bounce back from setbacks. When you are in a state of well-being at work, you're able to develop your potential, be productive and creative. You're able to build positive relationships with others and make meaningful contributions. Choosing to be at cause is the inflection point of these critical abilities. When you choose to be at cause, you are choosing to use your creativity to experiment with possible solutions to overcome obstacles or challenges. That's as improving your personal well-being by learning each time from success and failure and resiliently trying an alternative solution until you achieve the desired results. To reinforce your choice, celebrate. Even a quick fist bump, a secret nod to yourself, a yeah. All of this will give you an extra dopamine spike and that will help you consolidate your learning and memory of what works well and what doesn't work so well further enhancing your well-being and resilience. Choosing to be at effect, and it is your choice, is the moment you have decided that either your fear of the future or some regret you have in your past has already decided your future failure. Thus, you avoid obstacles or adapt until you somehow get beyond them and achieve less than desired results. Repeat this enough and your resilience melts away and your well-being turns into sickness and chronic disorders. As I say, it's your choice and the choice you make matters a great deal. Okay, John, so how do I do it? Well, I'm going to share two super neuroscience-based brain hacks that will give you the power to choose to be a cause if not every time, then most of the time. They are advantage hack number two, the secret power of the pause. And advantage hack number three, who's your caddy? There are five steps and with practice, the first two will take you four to five seconds. Steps three to five, three to five minutes. Step one is to become aware that you are facing a challenge or obstacle and reacting to it. You may say, John, that's obvious. Well, sometimes it isn't. You've seen something, heard something, felt something, tasted something or smelt it. It's always your senses. Step two. Take one deep breath. As deep and long as time allows. So step one, just become aware. There's a challenge, there's an obstacle, you are reacting. Now take one deep breath, as deep and as long as time allows. In through the nose and out through the mouth, that will reduce cortisol as well. Yes, your brain may well be ahead of you already. After all, it's busy predicting what's gonna happen next. And you are already adjusting your body budget for the predicted future. 
adrenaline to run or fight a dose of cortisol, some cytokines to fight pathogens, increase heart rate. All of that is okay because all of this activity needs energy and it needs more oxygen. So simultaneously, you are exerting a little more control of your brain's choices and thinking about them. So step one, become aware. Step two, take one deep breath. Step three, you choose to be a cause for your response, even if you choose to react and avoid the obstacle. You are choosing. So please do reflect on your choice and consider if maybe, perhaps, there might have been a better way. Which leads me to hack number three, who should be. Step four. Follow the links I've got in the show notes, by the way, on hack two and hack three. It'll give you a lot more detail how to do this in some step detail. Learn about this tremendous tool. Who's Your Caddy is a very, very powerful tool that will improve your decision-making for every decision you have to make. For now, whether you choose to take action and overcome the challenge or you choose to react and avoid or adapt, now is the time you can branch back to cause. Reflect on the situation, reflect on your choice and consider what happened. From your point of view, number one, Number two, the point of view of the other party, because most challenges do involve another human. Three, a third party who is connected to the challenge. Perhaps your boss knows about it. They don't have to be there, they're connected. A fourth, an external person, somebody you love, like or admire, your mentor, your wise coach, or just a friend. Five. Think about it, see it from their point of view and learn what they advise you to do. And of course, all of this is your own perceptual mind. Step five, rinse and repeat. Pausing alone will change your life. And yes, this is a process that others call mindfulness. Do it often. Before long, you will steadily shift to being more at court for your life. And choices and other people will begin to take notice. They may even ask you, what happened to you? Teach them this. And one day, the world will be filled with people who take responsibility and accountability for their lives and the lives of those around them. And the world will be a much much better place to be living that life. You're on your way to true joy at work. Thanks, I've been John Kay. Be greatly blessed. Enjoy. Put this into practice. You will find it unbelievably powerful. And let me know how you get on with it. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Advantage Podcast. I've been your host, Dr. John Kay. 
do get in touch at leadershipadvantage.com. Bye for now and be greatly blessed. Thank you.